as I was preparing for today's message, I, I started wondering how many babies, how many infants have been baptized at this font for, for over five decades? Uh, pastors have gathered babies up in their arms and baptized them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, dedicating them to a life and relationship with God. I, I wonder, is it, is it hundreds of babies, maybe thousands of babies? Then add the babies that also get baptized upstairs in the modern worship center. And then some of you remember when babies were baptized across the street in the old sanctuary, how many, how many have begun their spiritual journeys right here at the font? Maybe, maybe you did. Maybe you brought your children to be baptized here or one of our other worship spaces. It's a holy moment when we have that opportunity. When, when we baptize a child, who can't speak for themselves, obviously, we, we look to the parents and for their commitment. We ask parents, will you nurture this child in Christ's holy church, that by your teaching and example, they may be guided to accept God's grace for themselves, to profess their faith openly, and to lead a Christian life? That's the commitment parents make when they baptize their child. But they're not the only one who makes a commitment. The, the congregation is also asked to make a commitment. You may remember words you've probably said many, many, many times. With God's help, we will proclaim the good news and live according to the example of Christ. We will surround this child with a community of love and forgiveness that he or she may grow in their service of God and be found faithful in their service to others. We will pray for them, that they may be true disciples who walk in the way that leads to life. Now, it's important to say that when we baptize a child, that's really just the beginning of their spiritual journey. They, they don't know what's happening, obviously, in that moment. There's not something that magical, magically happens. It's a commitment that's made. We believe God offers a commitment of grace. Parents, commit, I will raise my child to know Jesus. And we as a church make that commitment as well, that we will do all we can to nurture this child to one day know Jesus for themselves. It, it's the beginning. It, it initiates a process. It's the launch pad, the, the starting line of becoming a follower of Jesus Christ. We hope that one day that they will, as we say in our commitments, profess their faith openly and lead a Christian life, that they will one day be true disciples who walk in the way that leads to life. Now, we don't exclusively baptize infants. We also baptize adults, sometimes in confirmation. A teen has never been baptized. Or, or sometimes someone later in life comes to the Christian faith and, and decides for themselves to be baptized. When it's someone who can speak for themselves, they are asked, uh, according to the grace given to you, will you remain faithful members of Christ's holy church and serve as Christ's representatives in the world? 
I think each one of those commitments, those questions, say something about what we expect to be the the culmination of baptism, the result of baptism, that they will one day, as adults, be faithful members of Christ's holy church and serve, listen to the words, serve as Christ's representatives in the world. You see, the the goal of baptism is is way beyond what we do when we come and, and place some water on the baby's head. That's just the beginning. In baptism, there's a vision for the future. It, it imagines the, the possibility of the future of, of having a, a lively, personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But it begins here. Now, in, in recent weeks, we have celebrated the birth of Jesus. We, we've talked about him as a baby, as an infant. Now, you probably already know that in ancient Jewish tradition, there was no infant baptism. There, there isn't today either. Instead of infant baptism, they practiced circumcision and dedication for a young male infant. Now, there was baptism. You've heard about John the Baptist, but that was different, and we'll talk about that in coming weeks. It was part of the Jewish law, the custom, that on the eighth day, a young Jewish male child would be circumcised. It says in Leviticus 12.3, on the eighth day, the flesh of the boy's foreskin must be circumcised. And then in the case of a male child, on the 33rd day or after, the child would be dedicated in the temple. Leviticus 12, 6 and following says, When the time of purification is complete, whether for a son or a daughter, the mother must bring a one-year-old lamb as entirely burned offering and a pigeon or turtle dove as a purification offering to the priest of the meeting tent's entrance, later the temple. But if the mother cannot afford a sheep, she can bring two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for the entirely burned offering and the other for the purification offering. That's how Jesus became part of the the Jewish covenant relationship with God, just like every other child of the Jewish faith. For males, it begins with circumcision. And then included this time in the temple where the child was dedicated And an animal was sacrificed on behalf of the mother and the child. On the eighth day, circumcision. On the 33rd day, dedication. Rob Bell describes circumcision as a sign of tribal identity. A mark that you are committed to being a new kind of people in the world. On the eighth day, Jesus received that special mark that he was one of God's chosen people. Now, it should be said that that every Jewish child entered the covenant in this way, circumcision and dedication, and that this happened 
before they had any conscious awareness of their ethnicity or their culture or their religion or any special relationship with God, that their circumcision and dedication wasn't their choice, it wasn't their decision, that it happened long before they understood the, the religious practices that are include, the circumcision is part of and others would be introduced into their lives or before they even understood that they were obeying Jewish laws. It was a covenant that was entered into by the parents and the community. The the child was placed into a Jewish covenant before they could ever choose that for themselves. It wasn't a choice. It was a decision made by your parents, by your community. It was expected, and then over time, you were taught what you needed to know to live into that covenant that you were already part of. That's why in the United Methodist Church, we practice infant baptism. Clearly, the infant doesn't know what's happening. They're not making a choice. It is a decision made by parents, by the church, that we will commit this child to the Lord, and we will raise this child to know the Lord and to live a Christian life. Now, it seems obvious, doesn't it, that one day every adult, be it Jewish or Christian, has to decide whether or not they believe in God, whether or not they want to be in this covenant relationship, how or if they will practice this covenant relationship. That's why the Bible talks so much to the Jews about being wholehearted, not half-hearted about having a heart of flesh, not a heart of stone. That's why John the Baptist came baptizing, to help people who are already in the covenant prepare for the coming Messiah. In the same way, with infant baptism, the child enters the Christian faith and they don't even know it's happening. But later, they'll have to decide for themselves. Do they believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Do they accept Him as Lord and Savior? Do they choose to live an active Christian life? It's more than just a ceremony. It's the beginning of a commitment to lead this child to one day as an adult to accept these precepts, this belief, this relationship for themselves. The truth is, all of us, no matter how recently we came to the font or or how long it's been, we must continuously consciously decide in our lives, will we follow this Jesus? Will we be faithful to this Jesus? Will we continue to to invite him to live in our hearts and our lives? Will we be part of this covenant? Now, I think I mentioned before, there was nothing unique or different about Jesus's circumcision or dedication. It was the way every young male entered into the, Jew, the Jewish covenant with God. It was obligatory. It wasn't optional. It was expected. But there were two interesting details about Jesus's dedication that are unique. The first was the offering that was given. It was expected that when you brought a child for dedication, you would bring a lamb a perfect young lamb. But there was an exception that was allowed 
for the very poor. If you couldn't afford a lamb, Leviticus 12, 6 says, but if the mother can't afford a sheep, she can bring two turtle doves or two pigeons, much more affordable. If you couldn't afford the, the more expensive offering, Jewish law allowed you to bring a poor offering, just two birds. I want you to think about that for a minute. Mary and Joseph were so poor that they had to take advantage of the exception that the Messiah of the world, God's own son, was dedicated with a very poor sacrifice. What does that tell us about who Jesus would become? What does that tell us about God's heart for the poor and the disenfranchised? There was one other thing that was different for Jesus' dedication. There were two individuals there at the temple the day that he was dedicated. Uh, One was named Simeon. He was an old man, a holy man, who believed with all his heart that God would send a Messiah. And that day, the Spirit led Simeon to be at the temple at the time that Jesus arrived. And looking at Jesus, he knew immediately this is the one that he had been hoping for, longing for, praying for, that the Spirit Spirit in him gave him particular insight to know Jesus was God's chosen one, the the Messiah come to save the world. Uh, He said uh, to God, now, Master, let your servant go in peace according to your word, because my eyes have seen your salvation. You prepared the salvation in the presence of all people. It is a light for revelation to the Gentiles and a glory for your people, Israel. Uh, That's called the Nucdimitus. And monks say it every night before they go to bed. Just a little extra FYI. The other person who happened to be there that day was a prophet, a woman named Anna who also spent time in the, in the temple daily waiting and watching for the arrival of the Messiah. When she saw Jesus, she knew that her wait was over, that he was the one that God had promised. Now, Simeon and Anna had seen who knows how many infant boys brought to the temple for dedication with lamb offerings. But somehow the the Spirit gave them the ability to recognize there was something extraordinary about this particular child, Jesus. And, And of course, we would all agree with that, that there is something extraordinary about Jesus. He is the only Son of God, the only Savior of the world. And yet, don't we say something at least similar when a child is brought for baptism? Don't we in some way acknowledge that this child is loved by God? And that's why we baptize the child. We're already confident in God's love for the child. Don't we acknowledge that when a child is brought for baptism, that they, even as an infant, are a perfect reflection, the image and likeness of God in their innocence? Aren't we acknowledging that they are now part of the church, the body of Christ? Aren't we acknowledging that that God has given this child special gifts and abilities, that they have a purpose to serve in the world, that they will have 
a calling, and God will use them to be a reflection of himself, to be an extension of Christ at work in the world. I mean, that's our faith, that this child will be like Christ for others. I remember my baptism. I wasn't baptized as an infant. I was baptized as a teenager at a camp up in Tennessee in the mountains in a little mountain stream. And, and I made the decision for myself. It was something I had thought about and prayed about for a long time. I felt the, the gravitas of the moment. It was an important decision for me. And I distinctively remember as I came up out of the water thinking, I still remember, this changes everything. My life will be different now. And I'll be the first to admit, I had no idea what that meant at that point in my life. It would take years for me to, to grow into what I thought might be happening there. And, and in truth, I'm still learning how to live this commitment that I made at my baptism. But that's where it began. And I've continued to live into its high calling. The author C.S. Lewis once said, The church exists for nothing else but to draw men into Christ, to make them little Christs. If they are not doing that, all the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermons, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. God became man for no other purpose. Now, we don't, we don't become little Christs at the moment of our baptism, whether it's as an infant or even as a teenager dunked in a river. That's a lifelong process. We call that sanctification in the Methodist church. That we continue to dedicate ourselves to God and God continues to dedicate himself to us as we grow and become the likeness and image of God. In time, as we commit ourselves to it, as we let the Spirit work in us, Christ becomes increasingly real in each of us and through us to others. That promise that's made at baptism becomes a reality. To be true disciples who walk in the way that leads to life. To be Christ's representatives in the world. There is a, a tradition in the United Methodist Church and the, the Wesleyan Christian tradition. It's called a Wesley Covenant Renewal. Many churches observe this special service at the beginning of a year. It reflects back over the last year, acknowledges shortcomings and confesses them and receives forgiveness. And it's, it's a recommitting to Christ for the coming year. Now, we're not doing the full Wesley Covenant service today, but there is a, a prayer in that service that I find particularly meaningful and I thought it might be meaningful to us today as we recommit ourselves, we rededicate ourselves to Christ for the coming year. I invite you, as you see the words on the screen, to pray this prayer with me. I am no longer my own, but thine. Put me to what thou wilt. Rank me with whom thou wilt. Put me to doing Put me to suffering. Let me be employed by thee or laid aside for thee, exalted for thee, 
or brought low for thee. Let me be full, let me be empty. Let me have all things, let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to thy pleasure and disposal. And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, thou art mine and I am thine. So be it. And the covenant with which I have made on earth, let it be ratified in heaven. Amen.